Hello, everybody. This is Let's Talk About It From a Teen's Perspective. I'm Makai Arline. I'm Zakia Spaulding. I'm Prito Ochoa. I'm Jeremy Swinnell. I'm Chris Miller. And we have a special guest with us today, Chief Deputy Rodney Collins from the Mecklenburg County Sheriff's Office. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. All right. Let's get started with Jureli. The first question is, why did you become a member of law enforcement? I've always been in love with the profession. Uh, as At an early age, always fascinated by police TV shows as a, as a kid. So it was just a natural fit for me. So you're saying I should join? Because I watch Criminal Minds. I know everything they do. Absolutely. <laughs> if that kind of work entices you, yes. How long have you been in law enforcement? I've been in law enforcement for 33 years now. So I've been with the sheriff's office for 27 years, and I was a military police officer in the Air Force for six years. Wow. So I've been doing it a long time. A long time. I still love it. And that means we're really grateful to have you. What are your thoughts on the protests that took place last year in Charlotte and around the world regarding police brutality? Well, I think that whenever you have groups that are marginalized, that are impacted disproportionately by law enforcement, I think the people responded. So it's unfortunate. I I don't like to see our our city in such turmoil. But I I do understand that there is a frustration and a need for us to hear and see something different. Yeah. And it starts with law enforcement recognizing it. Absolutely. Appreciate that. Yes, and thank you for trying to understand where we come from as well, because not everybody, not everybody is like that, and sometimes we feel ignored. But thank you for taking that chance to at least make us feel heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that there's a lot garnered from just having conversations and and trying to see things from others' perspective. And, I mean, even for you all to to hear things from a law enforcement perspective, things that we encounter and, and why we may respond or react to things the way that we do, yeah. uh, understanding what the law is and, and how it's to be uh, enforced. And that the biggest thing is that we, we have that, that openness and, and be able to communicate with one another so that we can see and try to change those differences into similarities. What are some reasons that black and Latin communities seem to have a heightened distrust of law enforcement? Well, they're distrustful of law enforcement because they've been disproportionately impacted by law enforcement. Those interactions are are, are very clear. The, The data shows that when you have more people of color that have different outcomes than those that that are not of color, those that have means have a different outcome in our in our justice system versus those that don't. So I think all those things lead to the distrust of law enforcement. Yeah. And have you seen it personally while on the job? I've seen it personally, yes. I, I've seen it I've seen it change too for 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 the better in, 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 in the last few years, especially in terms of what's being done here locally, uh, to try to address some of those disparities that, that we see. Uh, one of the elephants in the room when, when we have these conversations is we talk about, you'll hear things about call for service. So where are law enforcement being called to? Where are they being utilized? 
typically that's in, in impoverished areas. Uh, you see a, a totally different need for police in a more affluent area than you do in areas of high crime and poverty. So I think right there, there's already a disparity yeah. from the onset. So when you fast forward to who hits the court system, who's in, in, our, in our detention centers, uh, that, dis that disproportionality is, is widely shown. I mean, when you have you know, more people of, of color that are, that are in, our, in our jail system here locally than, than any other group, then I, I think that it, it, it goes to further that distrust of law enforcement. Agree. Agree. What do you think can be done to better the relationship between law enforcement and the community, specifically the black and Latin communities? We got to be in those communities more in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I say that by, by just interacting, having those conversations, and it not being in a, something that's transactional or, or business yes. related. So yes. you know, seeing us in a different light, that, that we're actually people too. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're, not, we're not robots or, mm -hmm. or, or just, you know, want to go out and, and, and have those, those negative interactions but sometimes the very nature of our business and, and, and what it entails is not a good situation to begin with. So, but just, just to have different interactions uh, on a more human level, as opposed to it being something when you encounter law enforcement that, it, that it's, it's more transactional and, and, and law driven and, and, and enforcement action. So having those encounters in a different way is, 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 a, is one way to go about it. Yeah, yes. I, I think I, I experienced that, you know, the International Association of Chiefs of Police. Mm -hmm. I went to one of their summits, uh, I think in 2018, and it was a bunch of chiefs and, you know, we just talking about it and we just expressed all the things, you know, we've had pent up or we think we, we know about law enforcement and how, you know, the interactions have been affecting us and just hearing all the chiefs just like with open hearts and open minds and just truly care about our stories and our advice for what they could take home to their cities and how they could change it. It just, it meant the world and it opened my eyes to, to having these conversations because you never know until you speak to them. Right. You never know. Cause they're, they, like you said, there's humans behind the, the uniform and you're, you're an African American male. I mean, this has to be affecting you the same way it affects us, even if you're in the uniform. Absolutely. Um, you know, even in, in seeing it and coming up through the ranks, seeing seeing the, the inequities, you know, no, uh, carrying with you that you always have to be twice as good to get an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So all those things, and then when you're finally in a position to to be a decision maker in an organization, that, you, that you're very thoughtful and deliberate about how you go about that. You don't want to repeat what, what you've been seeing the whole time that you've been coming up through, through your career. You have actually a chance to, to make an impact and do something different and reshape it and, and make it something that's, that's better for the citizenry. Because, you know, law enforcement truly is about service. Enforcement is a component, but this is a service industry. So, you know, it's really about those that you serve. And you're starting out with little old us. That's right. <laughs> no, yes, and, and I totally um, agree that, you know, despite our differences, um, having a connection that 
is not just always so formal, but like as Makai said, open-minded in a situation where like you can be heard, but we can also be heard and we can understand each other, which instead of um, dividing us, it'll bring us together and bring us to a point where all those issues that have been going on can come to an end sooner or later. So yeah, I totally agree. Do you think law enforcement members need additional de-escalation training? Why or why not? De-escalation training. So I I will tell you that most law enforcement agencies, de-escalation has been around for some years. And, and you know, of course, when you, when you talk about and you you hear this in certain law enforcement settings about a use of force continuum, so basically, there there are levels to the to the force, and and sometimes it doesn't warrant de-escalation, you know, but because it's it's more serious and you're not given an opportunity to de-escalate, and then there are times where absolutely it's 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 necessary. Uh, it's been a long-standing part of our curriculum to to seek to de-escalate first, yeah. uh, you know, as opposed to just just making it a, 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 a violent encounter. So we try to de-escalate, and, and de-escalation takes many forms. It's, it's it's not it's not just about talking and, and trying to uh, calm things down from that perspective. It's also about waiting for your backup having more people present, allowing others that, that if they can do so safely to intervene, to help bring it bring it down. So it takes many forms, but I think that the, the end goal is always to find that, that peaceful resolution to whatever the situation is. What are your thoughts on the Black Lives Matter movement? So my thoughts on the Black Lives Matter movement. So. I want to I want to stay politically correct for, for, for <laughs> considering this is being recorded. So I've read I've read a, a lot about this organization and, and 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 what they what they stand for. I can't say that I agree with everything, but I, but I do believe that you know fighting systematic racism, fighting inequities, fighting disparities, all those things are necessary. So. I think living in a free society, we're afforded the opportunity to do that. And any movement that comes out as a result that, that seeks to bring about positive change, I, I think full speed ahead. Yeah, I totally agree because sometimes, um, sometimes within these movements, there may be like actions that um, people may disagree on, but I do think it's necessary at times. Um, in order to influence a better change, a positive change, because we've seen it in the past, um, civil rights movement, um, women's rights. Yes. We and and it has led us to like for more improvement. So I do believe that sometimes this is actually like a necessary action. But yeah. Now getting rid of the political correct answer. Now, now tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I did. Okay. I did. We'll accept it. Yes. So there, there are parts of it that. That I actually like and think are good, and there are other ones that are a, a, a little bit much for me personally, and, no, and how it fits. I think a lot, of, a lot of people agree with you on that. Yes. Um, how do you feel about the Floyd verdict that was handed down? I thought it was just. I think that in this instance, you saw the system work the way that it's supposed to, where 
an officer who didn't take the right action, didn't take an appropriate action, was criminally charged. And, and, you know, one of the things, too, that we all know that going into this business. It's, 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 in, it's brought up in our training. We're constantly reminded that you, know, you have to do things a certain way. So when you go outside of that, you lose that protection from your agency. You, you, you understand that you can be sued civilly or you can be criminally charged. Mm-hmm. So, you know, considering and watching the video and, and, and seeing everything in its totality, I think that the verdict was just. I think we can agree with you, and we're glad you see it that way. You know, not everybody does. I mean, with his department behind him and, you know, some of the people who knew him, do you think there are, like, the people who, who did support him, you can understand their side of things, or or you just see it as a, no, he was wrong, he got charged? Yes, I, I, I those that are going to be truly honest and, and be objective and, and, and really evaluate what they see, how could you say that was that was the right action mm-hmm. with, with everything involved? Uh, you talk about a, a suspect that's already handcuffed. He's already detained. There's several officers there. There are a lot of other actions that you can take as opposed to just being on his on, on his neck like that. That there, there, There's so many other ways that that could have been handled. And I think uh, in, in watching a good bit of the trial and listening to their police chief, and he gave some great testimony about their training and, and what it entails. And those other options were afforded to that officer, and he chose not to, to take them. And consequently, he was held accountable for that. Um, has your daily routine as a member of law enforcement changed since there has been more scrutiny placed on officer conduct? It has not, and I'll tell you why. I oversee our internal affairs and have for several years at the sheriff's office. Mm-hmm. So, in essence, I police the police. I don't want anyone in, in our organization that doesn't want to do the business the right way. I want people that are, that are thoughtful and deliberate and, and humane in their treatment of others. I don't want folks that t- tarnish that badge. It's it's, and when you see things like the riots and and the these protests against law enforcement, it shows you how fragile those relationships are. Yeah. So when you have people in your organization that are bad hires, you want them out. Mm-hmm. You truly do. And one of the things it's important for citizens to understand for you all as young people that we take those complaints seriously. There are a lot of times where people may have a bad encounter with, with law enforcement and they don't say anything. So you don't say anything, that action is, is, is essentially you're condoning it. Yeah. And then it, it goes on and, and there's another negative encounter with someone else. Whereas had it been reported, Maybe that one incident wasn't wasn't the one, but maybe that is the last one. Who knows? But it, it's important for people to re, to report any type of inappropriate interaction that they have with law enforcement, so that it can be documented and we can work to get that person out if they're not a good fit for the organization. If they're violating our policies, if they're violating the law, if they're 
not treating people in accordance to our expectations. So we have to know that. So no, my my daily routine hasn't changed. I welcome the scrutiny because I, I think it's always been needed. It, it needs to be there. You have to be accountable for your actions. Wow. Wow. I've never heard somebody say that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad that um, that uh you you want people within the law enforcement, people that actually care, and that the fact that interactions with the law enforcement should come out to light so that people can see oh what needs to be changed, what's wrong, what's right. So I I totally I totally love the fact that you do try to pay attention to that to actually help improve situations or change them in law enforcement? You know, one of the things that whenever there's change, so most people don't like change. No, I'm one of them. So, (laughs) (laughs) But in any business, it evolves. Mm -hmm. Things aren't what they were 10 years ago. 15 years ago or technology changes so and I can remember our first evolution of rolling out body cameras yes oh we don't want those that's oh, no. the big brothers watching <laughs> fast forward to today especially with with younger people they welcome the technology mm-hmm. they realize that sometimes the video saves you yes. because it's not just your word against someone else there's actual video evidence that people can see and hear is tangible. Yes. So uh, getting people to understand that and, and embracing the use of technology as a means of accountability is, is important. So, And I think it protects everybody that's involved. Yes. Um, as a law enforcement official, do you fear for your safety? I do not. And I, the reason I don't fear for my safety is I, I know how I act. And meaning that my interactions with people are, I, I try to be above board. I try to make sure that I, I treat them with dignity and respect. So, I, and I'm a man of faith. I, I don't, I don't worry about my safety. I don't live in fear of anything. I, I, I think that when you, when you walk that way, that it's fine. And I, I've had people that I've had to arrest over the years that I see out in the community. They speak. It's cordial. It's fine. Uh, never, never once felt threatened. Unsafe. Um, do you think that others that work within law enforcement have feel threatened, or have you um, known of anyone that has felt threatened in the position? I think that there are others that feel that way, uh, and it it may be because of of their their mindset and okay. and, and uh, what we'll call them. It's like you, you have those those officers that are that are always very tactical and, and, and they, they think like that all the time. They, they they're going to carry their firearm when they're off, and and, that, and and they can. That's their right. But you have some that just think like that. That, yeah. that that's that they always have to be prepared. You know that they're on the ready, ready to go at a moment's notice. So you you have some that are that are like that. And, and and that's okay for them, but for me personally, I just I I don't worry about it. I, I don't. I've never felt unsafe or uncomfortable to go somewhere, especially without my firearm on. Don't even have it on at the moment. So, 
Okay, but with that, do you think some who do fear it, uh, how the public takes them or is going to see them, do you think that it's going to lead to more interactions like George Floyd or the other people who have, you know, been killed? Not necessarily. Um, some could just feel that way because th- they're just always ready. Yes. So, and then others that are fearful for other reasons, more deeper rooted reasons, then, then those are the other ones that we may not want in our organizations. Uh, if, if you're fearful of a certain group, a class of people, or color of people, mm-hmm. those are the ones that we don't want in, in, in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. But just to be aware of your surroundings, have situational yeah. awareness and, and being cognizant of what's going on around you. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and you have some that, that just think that way. True. I can understand that one. What advice would you give to anyone who is in a situation where they have to interact with law enforcement, like being pulled over or being questioned? So, and y'all probably not going to like what I'm going to say next. Because I, I hear this a lot in when even when the interaction isn't going the way that it should. But one of the things that I tell everybody is the first thing I need you to do is I need you to comply. Whatever the instructions that are being given, listen to those instructions and comply. Whether you agree with them or don't agree with them, for all persons involved, and to be safe and to have a safe outcome, comply. Mm-hmm. Second part of that is I want you to complain. Anytime you feel that you're mistreated, you weren't talked to appropriately, something wasn't wasn't above board with that whole transaction, that interaction with that law enforcement officer, I need you to complain. I need you to let someone know. So comply first in any situation and then complain if you don't feel it was right. I think we often, you know, know people say, well, why would you pull me over? Or why are you talking to me? Why are you questioning me? And as a police officer, would, like, how do you feel about that question? Do you understand it? Or are you like, just do what I say in the moment? So, no. I I, I think that sometimes in, 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 in our interactions, we, we got to be, a, we got to be thoughtful. And we, we, we need to be specific as to why we take a certain action. And I don't think it's harmful in explaining that. Hey, I stopped you because you ran this red light. Yeah. You know, so taking that extra time to, to have that communication is, is I think, helpful in, in it going a long way. I mean, there are a lot of things that we do at, at the sheriff's office that are court-driven so I take something like a, an eviction. Mm-hmm. It's not a pleasant way to do it. No. I mean, you, you're essentially evicting someone out of their home. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not something that we have discretion. It's a court order. Yeah. But to, to take a moment to explain that process and take that extra time as opposed to just, hey, you need to hurry up and get your stuff and let's go. Uh, I, th- I think showing a little compassion and being a little more sensitive to it What's going to happen in the end is still going to be the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But how you deliver that message says a lot, too. 
So, mm-hmm. and e- even with a something as simple as a, as a as a traffic stop, yeah, you know, and, and, and giving a person a citation, it can still be pleasant. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be confrontational. It's just taking the time to explain, walking you through it, and hopefully on the on the other side of that, you're a better driver <laughs> and you learn from that experience. Yeah. So uh, you, you know, it, it's important to just have have good, honest communication with people and, and take the time to explain certain things because everybody hasn't encountered that and they don't yes. they don't know what it entails. No, yes, and and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about like. There's an importance of how you interact with others compared to just confronting them without any explanation. Obviously, it's going to lead to a different outcome or a different reaction of the other person rather than hopefully the situation doesn't get out of hand. But there's going to be a difference with talking to them calmly and explaining to them the situation. So I totally believe that there's like an importance of how you interact with others. Mm -hmm. Because it makes you feel more understood, I guess. I have a quick question. So, do you think that people questioning, if you were to be pulled over and you question, why did you pull me over? Is that a part of not being compliant? No, that's a question. It's it's a a simple question. Officer, why did you stop me? I hope more, a lot more officers look at it that way. Because I feel like that's that's where some of the stuff starts, you know, where mm-hmm. the interaction goes wrong and they're asking. I feel like people can ask nicer. I feel like the answers can be given. Right. So there's there's things both sides can do. But yes. just having that mindset that it's just a question, mm-hmm. I feel like that's where it starts. Right. That's where it starts. I agree. How are you handling these tough conversations in your personal life? I actually <laughs> like them. Yeah, I do. Uh, because I, I think that anytime you can have a conversation with someone and, and leave them with a different perspective, yes. or yeah. you gain something from that conversation, yes. a different perspective and a different approach. And because uh, sometimes you know we we go about doing things a certain way, and we think that it's interpreted the way that we intended. Yes. And to hear it come back and say, "Well, you know that, that I didn't interpret it that way," mm-hmm. and it helps us all to, to grow and evolve and, and, and to be better at our craft. Mm-hmm. No, Perception is everything. Uh, it's part of the reason we're glad you're here so that we can gain knowledge from the other side to understand, to to know other people's perspectives as well. So, yeah. Well, um, is there any advice you'd give to new officers when dealing with the public? Yes. So what I, what I tell anybody that's that that's that's new in this business is the first thing you you, you need to do is you, you got to have thick skin. Uh, there are going to be people that you encounter that are difficult, mm-hmm. and that's okay. And you you come to expect it. Uh, sometimes they're just words, and that you got to have thick skin. That you don't allow your emotions to drive your actions, and that. Above all else, you treat everyone with dignity and respect. That goes a long way. Uh, I think it helps overall with with that interaction. But just to 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 be to be open minded, to have thick skin, to to understand that everybody isn't isn't 
isn't feeling long for it. So sometimes those interactions, some 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 people may make some comments or say some things that that, that you don't like or that are inappropriate. You may mm-hmm. think that are inappropriate, but it's it's okay. You, you're still there to serve. Have you changed some of the things you do when responding to a call or stopping someone? Well, we've changed over the years in terms of what officers, the reasons for for stops, making sure that, that, that they're not just fishing, so to speak. Uh, that was one of the practices in early on that typically we, we, we try to stop people because there is a, a legitimate infraction that has occurred that we that we witnessed, not just stopping someone just for, for the sake of looking for something else. Mm-hmm. So, and then making sure that on the back end of that, that our communication during that stop is appropriate, that you're stating the reasons, stating your name, what organization you're with, and, and, and explaining that up front to, to folks that you encounter on, on traffic stops. So, you know, and that's, that's one of the, the most common interactions that, that people have with law enforcement is, is, is traffic stops. And still doing that in a safe manner. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think everything that's happened this past year is going to affect the future of law enforcement? And well, I need some specifics now. Okay, so you're saying how things have happened. Are the, I think reform is on the horizon. So, horizon. you know, you're hearing about a lot of mm-hmm. legislation that may be coming, uh, some things dealing specifically with law enforcement databases, uh, one of the things that, that we've implemented at the sheriff's office, and you're seeing it a trend nationwide, was a duty to intervene. So as you notice in the, in the George Floyd case, that those other officers have been charged as well for not taking an action when another member of your department is doing something that is outside of policy, outside of the mm-hmm. law. So yes. putting that onus on other employees that are that are there yes. to take an action as well will maybe help because sometimes, you know, what, what I find, especially from an internal investigative side, had one person <laughs> yeah. done something yeah. could have potentially saved everybody from being in trouble. Mm-hmm. So that 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 is a huge step in terms of, of some of the the evolution and the reform. Uh, we talk about how officers that may be problematic hop from agency to agency. Now, we're very deliberate in our hiring process to check. Some agencies, not so much. Uh, but when, when we notice that there are red flags or that people have left under investigation, had multiple complaints, we want to see everything from that, from that previous organization so that we can make a good hiring decision. So... Some of the legislation, some of the proposals in the in reform are are directly speaking to those those type of issues, so that you can get those folks out of out of the business that aren't good for it. I'm studying for criminal justice right now. One of the things I read in you know our textbooks is uh, the police culture, which is you know you don't tell on your partner. You know a lot of people don't understand what officers go through, so. Why get somebody else in trouble when the public doesn't really understand? Right. So I, I think that one is a big one. Just having people say something. If you're there, stop it. 
small things, but small things, but yeah. big impact. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, you you'll have examples where you have officers that are responding to something, and I've seen this during the course of my career where you have someone that. And you all know your your group dynamics and people that you work with or go to school with that some have challenges talking to people more so than others. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it'll baffle me from a on the backside as management looking at, at this interaction. It's like, well, why would you let the person that's the least communicative in the group be the one that's leading the charge and talking to somebody? Mm-hmm. When you have others there that are much better suited to deal with that, and so you know, make, making sure that, that that we're being very, we're looking out for each other too, as, as well. So you know that that helps. That uh, when we have policies like that, and, and we're making changes that that hold us accountable, but require others around them to hold each other accountable, uh, goes a long way. One thing we talked about is that you're proud of your uniform. Mm-hmm. You're proud of what you do. So have you seen in your in your department other people's feelings changed about wearing the uniform? Do you see people who think it's it's getting to be too much or or that are even prouder of who they are and what they stand for wearing the uniform? I think it runs the whole gambit. I, I will say that this job isn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you endure a lot. But it's still a very noble profession. And, and if you, you believe that and you stand for that, then, then you understand that it, it, there are difficult times. And law enforcement takes a, a, a lot of criticism, mm-hmm. especially when you have instances like George Floyd. Or you have those, you know, those shootings that, that are persons unarmed and it, it comes across the wrong way. So... As a profession, we take the we take the hit and we take the blunt of that. So, but you you persevere. You, you know that you're trying to do business the right way. You understand that criticism comes. You you listen to that criticism. You weigh it and you determine whether or not it's valid. In a lot of cases, it is, and you try to make the necessary improvements so that you can be better on the other side. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, you have a. Folks that say, hey, you know what, it's too much. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like it. I don't feel safe. I don't, I don't think it's for me. At least and, they're honest, thankfully. And, you know, they, and they get out of it, yes. Mm-hmm. Others dig in. Others like they're here people. to stay. Yes. For the long haul. And last but not least, what initiatives is your department taking to bridge the gap between you guys and the community? And I think I should get specific since we're teenagers, right? And say, what are you doing with the youth? What we're or doing what with would the you youth? Like to see so with the youth? we're very active. Uh, we have an active community engagement unit. Mm-hmm. I sit on right moves for youth board. <laughs> I sit on pals board. Uh, we're connected with Race Matters for Juvenile Justice mm-hmm. as an organization. So we're 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 really truly about reform. Mm-hmm and making sure that we're delivering services the right way and, and serving our community properly. So so we're really plugged in to, to a lot of those initiatives. And then there are a lot of good things, like I told you earlier, that, that are going on in our criminal justice system. Uh, Charlotte was one of those cities that was cited 
for the safety and justice challenge. And what that challenge entailed was several strategies to try to reduce the racial and ethnic disparities in our criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. That's why you saw a change in our bond policy that tried to take some of the the money out of it because you, when you talk about people that have means mm -hmm. versus people that don't, you get charged with something, you're arrested, you can't bail out because you don't have means yeah. versus somebody who has means gets right out. So th those changes are all geared toward reducing racial and ethnic disparities. We're at the forefront of a lot of those. We're, we're there working and, and really entrenched in this work and trying, trying to make sure that we're making a, a difference. Wow. Wow. You didn't know that, did you? No, but that's why we were talking today, so we can we can learn yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. A lot of us, we just we just see what affects us, and sometimes we tend to not be considerate of how it may actually affect people, like police officers. So, getting a viewpoint and an understanding of how y'all feel or how to express yourself, action taken, and your work is. It's something that we also need to hear, something we also need to learn to be able to understand both sides and not just one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm especially happy, you know, that if Frida ever gets in trouble, she's going to have you to help. She got me to call. <laughs> That's right. First person we call. We know that you do all of that with the youth. I'm, Frida, he's got your back. Girl, I'm not trying to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was also nice to know that change was, was happening. You know, I don't hear a lot about the change aspect of it. I hear a lot about the negative aspects of things that are going on in the media. And it's nice to know that change is happening. It, yes. it, it's slow in coming, but it, but it, but it is it is happening. I mean, there, there are a lot of programs that are out there now. Their government is being very thoughtful and deliberate about race and equity. Uh, I mean, the county just laid out its budget today. There were dollars put aside to, to make sure that, that they're addressing racial equity and disparities. So just, you know, it, it's, it's everywhere, not just in the criminal justice system, but just trying to, to rid those institutions of that systematic racist behavior. It, it's, it's a process, though, process. and it takes time. But there are a lot of groups and people in this city that are working toward that end. And we're glad to hear that straight out of your mouth. <laughs> straight from me yes well thank you guys so much for listening to this three episode podcast from let's talk about it from a teen's perspective and thank you to chief deputy collins for coming here and speaking to us thank you yes. all for having me thank it's been you. fun yes and you gave us great great insight i think thank a lot you. of us were shocked if i can say to hear how much you're doing and all that your your department specifically, but you know, is is understanding from us. Mm -hmm. So so thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm Makai Arline. I'm Zakia Spaulding. I'm Frida Ochoa. I'm Jarelis Wardell. And I'm Chris Miller. And for the last time, we are Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about it from a teen's perspective. perspective.